much. Praise God. Are you comfortable? Good. I'll try to make it uncomfortable for you in just a moment. <clears throat> uh, glad, glad you're here. And uh, looks like one of those Sundays where people are taking advantage of the summer, doesn't it? Kind of looks like that. But I'm glad you're here. And I believe that God has a message for you. Uh, not to say this couldn't be a message for those that are missing today, but it's definitely, say the word definitely, definitely for you and me. It's, it's the, it's the thing about preaching is you find out, any of you have taught a Sunday school class or have preached or shared a word, whatever, it usually touches you first, doesn't it? It usually nails you first. And talk about stepping on toes, it always steps on my toes first before it does other people. So I'm glad here today, and I hope you brought your reinforced shoes for whatever reason. And uh, we're going to get right into the Word. It is summer, and you're going to have some time today to enjoy it and rest before the Lord. I still, how many here still believe in the Sabbath, a day of rest? I do too. I know we, we, we disregard some things and just say, well... That's Old Testament, you know, but uh, Jesus actually quoted most all of the uh, Ten Commandments in his ministry, and he never did say, leave those behind. Although through Paul's writing, Paul suggested that we leave all the rest of the law behind us. It has no more effect, has no more profound judgment upon us, and in fact, very little edification. But the Ten Commandments, they're still big ones, and so... Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Keep it holy. Still a good thought, amen? Even though in our, our thinking as New Testament Christians, the Sabbath uh, is, is no longer Saturday because the Sabbath is Saturday. And we, we have taken the first day of the week, which is Sunday, and we declared that it is our Sabbath because on the first day of the week, what happened? Jesus rose from the dead. That's all right. So that, that's why the early church took Sunday to become the Sabbath because it was the day Jesus rose from the dead. So we enjoy our Sabbath. Now, if you take Saturday and Sunday and make it two days of Sabbath, does that make you twice as good, twice as healthy? <laughs> I don't know. But I know you, every one of us need to take a day, don't we, where you just rest. Rest in the Lord. Rest from your thoughts. Rest from from tension, rest from things that get us down, and just worship the Lord. Well, our scripture today is indeed an Old Testament scripture, and it happens to be one of my favorite portions of Old Testament scripture, and it's found in the book of Exodus, chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and read, uh, find that, and you can look, read right along with us. We'll have it up on the big screen as well, Exodus chapter 15, starting at verse 22, and we'll read through verse 27, and uh, we're choosing today to read from the new uh, King James Version because it just says it so well, so very well. By, by the way, before we read the scripture, what happened in the Old Testament is a portrait, it is a picture, it is a painting of things that God wants to do in the New Testament and will do for us in the New Testament. Things are different, times are different, but God's the same yesterday Today, and what's that last word? Forever. Yeah, so when we read in the Old Testament, you'd say, well, that isn't relevant. It is in the sense that it is a picture of what God has for his church today. And more, more pertinent than that is a picture of what God has for you and for me today. This verse is just for you. It's just for you. I know you probably said, boy, this guy right next to me could really use this word. But the truth of it is, I need it. You need it. This word is for us. Amen. Let's, let's read it together uh, from chapter 15 of the book of Exodus and verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. That's important. Three days in the wilderness found no water. Now, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. They were bitter. Therefore, the name 
it was called Mara. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a, a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them and said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his command, his each and every commandment, and keep all the statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells, 12 wells of water, and 70, 70 palm trees, and they camped there by the waters. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, how exciting it is to get into the Word of God on a Sunday morning with your people. How wonderful it is just to open our Bibles and read it, declare it, preach it, teach it. Lord, I'm so thankful that you've given it to us today. And Lord, I pray that the anointing will be strong. Lord, may you send that precious, sweet anointing and rub it into our hair, rub it into our face, rub it into our hearts, rub it all over us. Anoint us, Lord God, as we hear the word. Anoint us, God, as we set before you. Anoint us as we bow down in your presence. May something happen here today that has not happened in a long time in my life or in our lives, an encounter with you that is so strong that it overwhelms us. God, we give you the praise and the glory and honor for the anointing. We give you the praise and glory for your word. We ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, here's the story. I'll give you a little background story. Uh, of course, from Joseph. About 238 years had elapsed from Joseph until the Egyptians found themselves in absolute poverty, absolute slavery, and absolute dominion. They were dominated by the Egyptians. They were second class. They were working just for existence, didn't have much going. God raised up a young man by the name of Moses who had to go through several experiences, but finally Moses was able to find the courage and find the guidance, stood up to the Pharaoh, and the people left Egypt. Now, when I say people left, they left. They didn't just leave like 150 people. The estimate is between the men, women, and children there could have been up to 4 million people. That's a lot of people. Now, the biggest crowd I've ever been in was at Promise Keepers in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and we had 85,000 men in that dome, in the Atlanta Dome, years ago. And uh, it was really exciting. And I thought I'd never seen that many people before in my life in one place. That was a lot of people, 85,000. Now, imagine, multiply that. <laughs> And multiply that by a lot, and you get an idea of the scope of these families and these people leaving Egypt, a lot of them. And I would say also, that's a lot of hungry mouths to feed. That's a lot of logistics. How do you keep that many people together? How do you, how do you develop encampment? How do they know where to stay? How do they know where to go? You know, how do they communicate? Did Moses have a PA system and say, thus saith me, the Lord is doing... Anyway, he didn't. But I'm just amazed that that many people, the logistics, the, the total scope of it all, was so organized by the Holy Spirit that they could through the desert. Uh, Marianne and I years ago camped, uh, cooked at camp. Boy, it was a long time ago, back in the 70s. We were the camp cooks. And uh, it, I don't know, people talk about hell. Um, <clears throat> I, I wouldn't call it that, but it was right next door to it because we were up, what, 4 o'clock in the morning, and then we'd plan the meal. This is for 200 kids, and we'd, we had our helpers and everything, but it was intense. We were on the run from 4 o'clock 
to about 8 o'clock or 7, 7.30, just on the run. And when they got done eating, we'd start all over again, wash everything up, on the run again. 12 o'clock came, eat, start all over again, <laughs> do it again all day. And in that time, we'd try to bake and do various things and make it special. <sighs> it's overwhelming with 200 kids. Can you imagine? Imagine with me, how would you like to be in charge of three or four million? Overwhelming, isn't it? Just amazing. Well, this is, this is the group. This is where we're at in the scripture. They had just crossed the Red Sea. God had graciously parted it. God had uh, caused them to be so joyous. In fact, Miriam, she sang, the, um, the horse and the rider fell into the sea. He said, let's praise the Lord. Let's just praise the Lord. They fell into the sea, and we're safe. We're, 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 we're so thankful. And so from there, Moses said, let's go tomorrow, because I know there's water there. For three days, these millions of people wandered through the wilderness until they came to Marna. By the time they were there, I'm sure they were filled with expectation, excitement, anticipation. They were filled with hope that they could finally get some water. I don't know about you, but three days in a desert, that area, you uh, geography majors, would know that that area is similar to the area around Death Valley, California. It's very similar. It's a desert, very low, very hot. The average temperature today in that region, year-round, the average temperature is 100 degrees. That's the average. They hit highs of 110, 115. Their lows are way down to like 89, 88 it's almost freezing at that point. That's a hot, hot place. And you got these millions of people. <laughs> Can you see them like little ants all over the place? Just every, and, and Moses out in front and Aaron out in front and just leading. And how fast can you walk with that many people? Maybe this fast. I don't know. I don't know if you walk that fast. Maybe three days. We're going to find water. Apparently, when they crossed the, the Red Sea, there was plenty of water on the other side. So they obviously drank all they could, filled up all they could. But after three days, when you have animals, they had their cattle, sheep. They had all kinds of animals. They had carts. They had uh, clothing. They had jewelry. They had gold. They had lots of stuff. They had all kinds of things that they'd gathered over the many, many years of being in Egypt. And they were tired. So with all this anticipation, all this excitement, all this hope that they find water, they arrive there, and there they are. There's the water in front of them, and all of a sudden they realize it's brackish. It is bitter. It is poisonous. Ugh. Then they said, they look, of course, what do you do when something like this happens? You always turn to the leader and say, okay, now what do we do? And so they turned to Moses and said, what do we do now? What are we going to do now? And Moses said, hmm, that's a good question. That's a very, very, very good question. I'm glad Moses didn't try to figure it out himself, aren't you? What, what, what would have you done? He did what I would have done, what I think most of you would have done. In fact, I know you would have. He said, let's pray. <laughs> and he prayed, and he prayed, and the Bible says, and when he prayed, God showed him a tree. He said, take that tree, throw it out into that bitter water, and see what happens. And when that tree hit the water, there's something that God did. Now, scientifically speaking, it was impossible, impossible for me to tell you. <laughs> you thought I was going to have some really neat formula, didn't you? But when that tree hit the water, the bitterness was turned into drinkable water. And they drank. From bitterness to sweetness. The title of my sermon today is Turning Your Bitterness into Sweetness. And how was it done? You throw the tree in there. Don't have a cross. You're like, oh, there, right there. That cross right there 
I believe, is that real wood, Willis? Or is it paper mache or something like that? I, anybody ever been up there to check that tree out? Is that real wood? It is, oh, okay, here's, Matt would know, and I trust a cop, I do, you know, just so you know. <laughs> he made it too, yeah. But it's real wood. So obviously, a tree doesn't grow like that, does it? You have to do something to a tree. In our case today, what we do, saw it up, come up with planks, kneel it together, screw it together, glue it together, get it together, make it across. But that's a tree. That's a tree. Jesus died on a tree. He died on a tree. So when you throw the, the tree into the water, what are you doing? You're throwing Jesus into the midst of the bitterness. You're throwing Jesus into the midst of discouragement. You're throwing Jesus into the midst of my sickness. God made a covenant at that point. When the water turned clear, clean, and ready to be consumed, he said, I want to tell you something, my, my people, something very important. Listen, no longer will you suffer from the same things that happened to the Egyptians. I will not allow sickness to come upon you like came upon the Egyptians. From here on, I want you to know this one thing. I am the God that healeth thee. Boy, that's quite, a, that's quite a statement after turning the water from bitter to sweet. On top of it, God says, not only is the water good to drink, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to heal you. Way back in 1960, um, in fact, that was so long ago, uh, dirt was still being developed. And <clears throat> the, when I was saved in 1960, uh, I came as a young man, 15 years old. I was pretty bitter. Yeah. You wouldn't think a 15-year-old. How, how bitter could a 15-year-old be? I was pretty bitter. My dad was an alcoholic. My mom was the mother of, well, she would be the mother of 11 children. At that point, there were nine of us. And in 1960, Jesus came into my heart and turn this bitter heart of mine into something sweet. And I didn't have anything to do with it. I didn't take some Carnegie course and all of a sudden won and influenced people because I was such a nice guy. But when that tree hit my heart and all the bitterness that was in my heart, it changed me forever. And it, it was about that same time that that tree touched my dad's heart. And the city little town of 5,000 people. Everybody knew Leo Freeman was a town drunk. When Leo Freeman got his life turned around and that tree hit his heart, this bitter old drunk became a kind and sweet and finally an elder of the church because the tree softened him. The tree changed him. The tree took that bitterness and turn it into sweetness. Can all of you remember when God took your heart and your life and turned it from bitterness into sweetness? Can you remember the day when you said, Lord, I accept you into my life. I accept you into my heart. I don't want this bitter thought. I don't want these bitter intentions in my mind. I don't want to be a bitter person. I don't want to be an angry, negative. I don't want about that, that stuff in my life. I want water that I can drink, water that will save my life, water that will calm me, water that will help me. I want that. You remember that, don't you? Then after God saved me and that tree was thrown into the bitterness of my life, God said something to me as well. He said, John, I am the God that healeth thee. Really? What does that all mean? Well, in my case, let me share my little story. I'd love to have all of you, if we had time, all of you could come up and talk about your healing of when you were first saved, what God did to heal you. I'll talk about my dad real fast. My dad was a heavy drinker. I mean, a heavy drinker. 
I, I can remember my dad could, if you, on the weekends especially, he could consume easily uh, a six-pack. That was no big deal. But it also consumed a fifth of whiskey in one day. And then on Sunday, a six-pack and another fifth. How, I don't even know how your stomach and your bladder and everything else absorbs. And I don't even know how it can do that, but he, he was doing it. He was, he was a heavy, heavy, heavy drinker. And when God saved him, God said, I'm going to heal you, Leo Freeman. I'm going to heal you. And God healed my dad of that addiction, of that terrible habit, of that ungodly, sin-seeking thing called excessive drinking. And my dad was healed and never had a drink of alcohol for the next 17 years until he died in 1977. Never had one drop of alcohol as a consumption. Might have been in food, you know, it could be all that. But nothing deliberately. Nothing that he knew of. You say, well, good for him. Yeah, good for him because he was healed. He was healed of a real deep, deep, deep sickness. Some of you don't know anything about alcoholism. You say, well, why didn't he just quit? Oh, yeah, right. It's a little harder than that. Any of you have ever smoked? You know, some people say, well, why don't you just stop smoking? Oh, yeah, right. It's that easy. Okay, today I stop. It's over. No. Things like that are really hard to get over because it, it takes the cross to sweeten the bitter waters. God did it in my dad's life. Now here's this 15-year-old kid. My bitterness was about my dad and my mom to some degree, but mostly my dad. My dad was abusive, not to me, but to my mom because she worked a job. She worked a job and had nine kids. My dad worked a job, but when he got home, he visited his best friend, which was Bud, wiser. <laughs> and he visited that friend over and over again. That's all he had time for was drinking and going to work. And my mom did everything. How would you like to raise nine kids and have a job? Pretty tough. But when God threw the branch into my heart and into my life, he healed me. Now, I'm saying that because I recall it. He didn't take the remembrance away, but he took my feelings are gone. I love my dad. I'm proud of my dad. I, I was so thrilled to see him change and grow and become a real man of God and just become a real man. And, and the very things he was so bad at, he became so good at. He became just a, a, a wonderful man of God, a witness. And I'm so thankful. My mom, she got saved too. And my mom, it's interesting because when she got saved, you couldn't tell the difference. You know, she just was a nice person. She was a lovely lady. And, and yet she would tell you if she was alive, she'd say, I, I, I had the bitterness, bitterness of my life taken away that day when Jesus threw the tree into my bitter waters. So here's what's happening. God says, okay, all that is good. I've healed you now. And remember, I am the God that healeth thee. So many of you here today, let's just see it with the raised hands. How many of you at any time in your life could say, I know at some point in my life, somewhere, God healed me in my life? And, and listen, look there. Now let's, now, now let's make it just, let's talk about physical healing. How many here have had physical healings? Raise your hand. Just about, yeah, just about as many. Yeah, that's three-fourths, easily three-fourths. I've received a physical, I've received a spiritual healing, a psychological healing, and I have received physical healings. Have I been healed every time I was sick? No. Have I received healing every time I ask? No. But God has always spoken to me and said, I am the God that healeth thee. Just trust me. I never blame God for not having healing. I always blame myself. I blame those around me. I blamed the fact that we live in a sinful, corrupt world. I blame the devil an awful lot, that he just keeps pushing. 
He just keeps squeezing. He just keeps angering the Spirit of God. And, uh, but when I stand back and look at it, I say, God has been my healer all this time. And in your lives, you that raise your hands, aren't you glad God healed you? Aren't you glad he touched you? Aren't you glad he loves you? My, he's, he's saying that. Can you hear it now in your own head? I am the God that healeth you, that healeth you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. I am the God that healeth you. I hear it. What a command. So the water was clean. The healing was real. In fact, for the first time in the Old Testament, we find a new word. The word is Yahweh Rapha, which means I am the God that healeth thee. So every time you say Yahweh Rapha, in the Hebrew that means the God that healeth. The God that healeth. Yahweh Rapha. Say it out loud with me. Yahweh Rapha. Say it again. Yahweh Rapha. I am the God that healeth you. I am the God that healeth you. I am the God that healeth you. You say, does God care about my headache? Yes, he does. Does God care about cancer? Yes, he does. Does God care about whatever I'm going through? Yes, he does. God cares. I am the God that healeth thee. Well, God says, time to move. So they picked up their stuff, <laughs> all the millions of them, grabbed their stuff. Now, just they were there just a few days in uh, Mara, and they drank the water, and they were excited. Now they go to a new place called Elam. Elam was on the map as well. And Moses knew about Elam, and God had told him about Elam. And I'm sure the people had rumored about Elam that it was a good place. They go there and they find in Elam two significant things. Number one, they found 12 wells. It would take all of that to keep that many people satisfied, happy, and have enough water. <laughs> It'd take at least 12 wells. But that was a great place. And the other significant thing... There were 70 trees. And you say, why is that important? It was because it means there was plenty of water, not just for the people, but for 70 trees to grow. And so millions of people, and I would imagine for 70 trees, it might have been the size of the property here, our whole property, not the church, but the whole property, maybe a little bigger. I did a little research, and they, they estimated it was, it was about a half a square mile the area, something like that. And so, pretty cool. And why that's significant, did you notice the 12 wells? What's important about the 12s in the New Testament? 12 disciples, right? Yeah. Book of, Book of Revelation talks about the 12 thrones. And then the 70. What's significant about that? In Luke chapter 2 and 3, Jesus said to his, his disciples, I'm going to, I'm going to, Call you together and make 70 of you, of these younger disciples, these energetic, following disciples, and I'm going to send them out. And they're, they're to be called elders. So he sent out the 70 elders several times, and they did signs, wonders, miracles in the name of Jesus. And so you have the 12 and 70. And now in the book of Revelation, 12 and 70 are very, very significant. In fact, if you look through the Bible, the word 70 is used several hundred times. And uh, it always indicates a workforce. And in the New Testament, it means to us, the 12 and 70 is the very basis of what we call the New Testament, the new church of what we are today. We're based upon the 12 disciples and 70 elders. We are a church that believes in the Bible. We call ourselves the open Bible. And it's there. Elam had all that. So they set up camp there. This is the new place. Uh, <clears throat> This awesome picture of the church. As we see what happened here, I, I, I love to see people who go from desperation to celebration. Don't you? <laughs> I've been there. I have been so desperate in my life. Marianne and I have experienced so many, especially financial desperations. We have been there where we really didn't know how we were going to pay the bills. 
We really did not know how we were going to buy a sack of groceries. We pastored churches, and we made $25 a week. We pastored churches that couldn't pay us, but whatever came in once in a while. We, we, we were desperate, desperate, desperate. And every time that God came through and put the, put the tree to those bitter waters, to our frustration, to our anxiety, to our need, it turned into exhilaration. It turned into celebration. It turned into victory. You know, sometimes when you're younger, especially when you're younger, you, you hate struggles. You hate difficult times. I still don't really like them. But when I was young, I hated them. In fact, I hated them so much, sometimes I wait, shall I still stay a Christian? Because this seems awfully hard, and I'm weighing it, you know, like, should I stay with it? Because, man, this is hard. This is really hard. And right at the moment when you say, I'm just going to just give it a good boot out of my life. And say, I don't want this Christianity thing anymore. All I've had is desperation. And God comes, and he touches our lives, and he turns our desperation into celebration. Woo! It's the best thing in the world to have the celebration of God. When God touches our lives and we begin to exalt his name and glorify his name, it's an awesome, awesome thing. Well, when we see people go from discouragement to encouragement, and we go from thirsty to filled with water, that's real fulfillment. That's real exciting. Now, there are conditions with this scripture, and I'm not, I'm not going to be a lot longer, but I, I want you to catch these conditions. The promises of God are, are, are yea and amen. They are yes and no and straightforward, yet God often attaches a condition. For instance, he said he'd heal our land, right? What did he say? If, if my people pray, right? That's a condition. He didn't just say, automatically I will heal the United States of America. The United States of America will be healed as a pagan nation, a nation that allows babies to be slaughtered, a nation that allows weird things to be acceptable and anti-Bible things to be acceptable. And we pray for our nation, don't we? And we have to. And the condition that this nation of ours will be saved is on your shoulders and on my shoulders. If my people pray. If my people pray. That's a condition. Now, let's talk about the conditions here of what he said to the Israelites. Uh, number one, he, he said something like this. Um, you're going to have to live in the wilderness. Hmm. That's a condition I'd rather not have. I want God to give me a paradise here on earth. I'm saved. My life is, is yours, Lord. I, I'm not going to smoke, chew. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to drink or holler or certainly, and I already said chew, and I won't go with girls that do, and, and none of that stuff. I just won't do it. And, and so, I'm, you know, I'm sanctimoniously righteous, you know. And then I say, on top of that, I would like to have a perfect house in a perfect neighborhood with perfect neighbors in a perfect church and buy a perfect car that never breaks down and gets perfect gas mileage, maybe 70, 70 miles a gallon, something like that. And I want everything perfect. And God says, no, that's not realistic. You're going to have to live on the earth and you're going to have to live in the wilderness. I get tired of the wilderness. How many of you get tired of the wilderness? Oh, boy. It is a wilderness out there. It is a wilderness. I, I invite you to this, well, not today. Tomorrow at 5 o'clock, I, I advise you to go out on I-75 at about 5 o'clock, uh, head north <laughs> from 8 Mile Road north. It is a wilderness, to say the least. It is a wilderness. The roads are a wilderness. The shopping malls are a wilderness. In fact, I find the local store sometimes to be a wilderness. I've had people almost injure me in grocery stores because they're just flying through those aisles. You come around the end of the, of the canned soup, and boom, somebody just about gets you. You've you all been there. You know what I'm talking about. It's a wilderness everywhere. And we live there. We live there. God says, while you're here on earth, you're going to have to live in the wilderness. So that's condition number one. 
Say to yourself, I have to live in the wilderness. And, and, you, and we really have to. But he said, um, remember, though you live in the wilderness, I am the God that healeth thee. <laughs> though you're living in the wilderness, I'm still the God that loves you. I'm still the God that heals you. I'm still the God that will take care of you. So you have to live there. It's all right. Well, it takes a lot of water as humans, doesn't it, for us to really become what we are. Somebody a whole lot smarter than me can maybe remember what, what percentage of our bodies is water? Is it 70, 70% or something like that? Or so, close to 80? Any nurses here know that? I don't know. It's, it's a lot. We're, I know we're way over three quarters of our body is water. That's why it's so important you consume water. I, I feel like once in a while when I preach, they are somewhat watered down. But anyway, uh, not always. But we are composed of water. What is it? Uh, a watermelon? Is, a watermelon is, I think it's 3% texture and 97% of watermelon is water. That 3% is awfully good, though, isn't it? Strawberries are like 95%. Marianne was sharing that stuff with me the other day, and I said, wow, I, didn't, I had no idea. And uh, water is so important. We need fresh water. What happens if you drink bitter water, brackish water, poisonous water? Makes you really sick, doesn't it? What happens if you keep drinking poisonous water? You die. Yeah, you die. Have any of you ever seen a Christian who was once on fire for God and loved God die? Me too. They just died. I'm not talking about physical death. They just died. They were alive, but they were dead. They just had no joy, had no faith. Didn't want to go to church, didn't want to read the Bibles, didn't want to pray, didn't want to associate with Christians. They were dead. And the only thing that mattered to them was eating, eating the bitterness of life and being around people who were as bitter as they are and joining up with their drinking buddies and their drug buddies and their, and their scum buddies. And, and it's so sad. It breaks my heart. It hurts me deeply. And only God knows what all that means for eternity. But I'll tell you one thing. I wouldn't want to be one of them. I wouldn't be, want to be one of them. I know you wouldn't want to be one of them either. Because they keep drinking from the bitter water. And the funny thing about the world and the wilderness, the more you drink from it, you say, well, I can handle it. I can handle a drink here and there of that bitter water. It's not going to hurt me. It's not going to hurt me. Because at first you take a sip. You go, ooh, that's horrible. But he said, well, it wasn't that bad. Then you take a, a cup, and then you take a quart, and before long, you're just drinking it straight, the bitter, brackish, poisonous water of this world. And you can be a Christian and still do that. But one day, it starts to choke you. And one day, it starts to make you weak and sick and distant, and discouraged, and a pity, and sad. And one day you realize, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. Now, my psychology is not very good. I'm not a psychology major. My ability to talk you out of being a bad person is not very good. Uh, I used to think if you had enough money, you could probably you know, outspend any bitter water. I used to think if you had enough friends, you could outfriend bitter waters. I thought if you had enough toys, you could play with your toys to the extent you wouldn't even worry about the bitter water. But I realized the only thing that would get rid of the bitter water, that tree and the one who died on that tree, Jesus, Jesus. Well, a lot of people are going through discouragement right now. I mean, they're just going through it. I think what Peter said, Peter in First Peter chapter 5 had a, a whole discussion on 
life, death, servitude. How are we going to make it? And to let you teenagers know, I am close to the end. So hang in there. Hang in there. And everybody else, I'm close. He said, finally, he said to them in verse 7, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And that verse just hit me when I read it. Casting. Like casting that tree into the water. Like casting that limb into the water. Like casting the cross into the water. Like casting Christ into the water. And when it's cast into the water, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. The casting brings water. It brings cleanliness. It brings hope. It brings encouragement. It brings joy. It brings things that I need in my life. Casting all that. He will sweetness. He will take the bitterness of our life and turn it into sweetness. Some people are content. Point number two. Hmm. They're content to live with bitterness. I know Christians. Marianne and I have a very good friend, and she really is a lovely lady. But when she was a younger Christian, she used to say things like this. I know that I have a temper, but that's the way I was born. That's the way I'm going to be. And boy, she would let you know. When, when, when she was right and you were wrong, she'd get in your face and say, you were wrong. And actually, she was a really nice person. We love her. But she thought that she could allow that particular bitterness called pride, <laughs> which she, I was born with, that's the way it's going to be. But it was just pride. And she'd hurl that out at people in the church, hurl that out against me sometimes as a pastor, hurl that out against Marianne as a pastor's wife, hurl that out, and people were afraid of her. People didn't want to talk to her because she inflicted bitterness upon them. So sometimes we say, well, the bitterness I'm drinking of is just natural. My dad was, was, was bitter. My mom was bitter. My sisters are bitter. My brothers are bitter, whatever. And I'm just that way. Or one uh, I like, sometimes people say, it's even geographical. Well, I'm from the South, and in the South, that's okay. Or, or whatever. You know, people use anything to get away with their bitterness. And the fact is, God cares about our bitterness. God wants a sweetness in our lives. God wants to sweeten the bitter waters. God doesn't want us to stay there and offend one another. Now, one of the things that happens with this is bitterness begins to tear things apart. Marianne and I have been married 52 glamorous, glorious years. We've had a few ups and downs. We've had a few struggles. But the one thing that we decided early on in our young marriage was it's not about me and it's not about her. It's about that tree in our lives. If the tree is my li- in my life, if the tree is in your life, if Jesus is in your life, all the bitterness will be taken away. It still hurts, but you don't become embittered. You don't become bogged down, drugged down, weighed down. And Paul said that we are to run this race, and some Christians can't even walk, let alone run, because they're so bogged down with bitterness. If I'd only done this, or if this had only happened. We have embraced the tree. It's not been easy, but we embrace it. People in our lives that we look up to are people who would sing this song. It's an old song. Remember this song? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. It's an old, old song, and how true it is. Jesus paid it all. Jesus made a way. Paul Yonggi Cho is the pastor of the largest church in the world. They have now nearly 800,000 people in his church, almost the population of Oakland County. Can you imagine one church having that many people? It's in Seoul, Korea. And he's, he's, uh, he's getting up there in the years now. In fact, he, he only occasionally speaks. He has many, many pastors. They have like 15 campuses, you know, and each campus 
holds like 50,000 people or something like that. Huge amount of people. And just amazing uh, when you think about that. Uh, well, anyway, Paul Youngie Cho, I heard him speak years ago here in, in the States. And he sh shared this story. i never forget it. He was talking about how he got saved. He came from a very, very, very humble background. And he was saved as a teenager. And God came to his heart. And he had a, he had a great, he had a, a grandmother who um, he loved very, very much. She was a farmer, a farm worker. She, was, she didn't own a farm. She was paid. Her job was to pick worms off the plants by hand. They didn't use pesticides over there. They just, they'd go through the plants, pull off the worms, the bugs, the grasshoppers. And job all day was to collect those worms. That was her job. So he tells the story. After he was saved, he was so excited, he went to his great, he went to his grandmother and said, Grandma, I have found Jesus, have found Jesus as my Savior. Could, do you think you could invite Jesus to come into your heart so he could save you? And she said simply, I can't. She said, I've killed too many bugs. She was a Buddhist. And you know what Buddhists think about bugs, don't you? They're just part of the cycle of re reincarnation. You know, I figure now, at this point in my life, if I was a Buddhist, I'd be somewhere around uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, a skunk or a beaver, or something like that, I don't know. But anyway, they have this progressive thing. Well, she had killed tens of thousands of bugs, and she said, oh, Paul, I cannot, I cannot receive Jesus. And he, he kept talking to her, said, Jesus forgives all sins. Jesus forgives you for everything. Jesus loves you. She finally gave her heart to the Lord, and Paul Youngicho says that she lived 10 more years as a sweet Christian. Prior to that time, she was despondent, discouraged, down, felt like life held no, no appeal, no, no goodness anymore in her life, and she gave her heart to Jesus. So here it is. We can be free, amen? He wants you free. He wants me free. He wants our families free. Preach Christ. Live Christ. Let the word of God become your conversation. Now, there's only one way you can let the word of God become your conversation. You really need to read it. You need to, to take it on as, as a, actually more important than watching television. I know that's hard for some of you to understand, but it's got to be more important than watching your favorite show, reading the Word of God. So you've got something that you can declare and say, the Word of God says, and you can live in the Word. And you've got to put that, that tree in the center of your life. Is there any bitterness in your heart? You don't have to tell me, but you have to tell the Lord. Is there anything in your life that has caused you to kind of not be the Christian you want to be? You feel like, I've kind of drugged my heels. I've kind of drugged my my life along, and I, I, I know part of it is that bitterness. Part of that is that feeling overwhelmed that things are going to get worse. Jesus forgives. Jesus makes a way. Jesus forgives us as we forgive others. And he put a tree in our lives that it might sweeten the waters. Stay with God. Go with God. And finally, one more time, I want to tell you, God says to you, I am the God that healeth thee. Would you stand with me, please? See, that wasn't that long. It just seemed like it. It just seemed like it. I am the God that healeth thee. I am the Lord, your healer. You gave your life, and you set me free. I am the God that healeth thee. He is our God. Would you bow in prayer with me? Lord, 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 Lord God, we cast the tree into the water right now, into those bitter things in our lives, into things that stink or brackish, even poisonous. Oh God, we cast the tree into the water. We ask that Jesus sweeten the water 
Sweeten my life. Sweeten my words. Sweeten my body. Sweeten my hope. Oh, God, thank you so much. And then, the Lord, I, then Lord, I ask for a second thing today. Not only that you would sweeten the waters, but you would heal bodies. I believe that you are in the healing business. So many people raise their hands that they've been healed. And, Lord, I know there's more healing today. There's more to be healed today, Lord. And, God, as we bow before you and we say, God, heal us. Heal my body. Heal my body. I have a sickness that is very real. I have a sorrow that is very real. There may be something in my life that is so overwhelming. I feel like it's a, it's a death sentence. But God, you are the God that healeth me. And I pray in Jesus' name for that person right now who has the courage to say, I am healed through Christ my Lord. I am healed through Christ my Lord. You are the God that healeth me. You are. You are. Sweeten my life, Lord. Heal me, Lord. Heal us, Lord. Heal this church. Heal our families. Heal our relationships. Heal us, Lord, for your glory. Holy Spirit, thou art welcome in this place. You are so welcome. Lord, move by your Spirit. I want you to just take a moment and listen. Listen to the Holy Spirit. As you hear the music, ask God to do something really special in your life. Today, no one has to acknowledge it except you and the Lord. And just say, Lord, I need a tree applied to the bitterness of my life. Or Lord, I need healing in my body. Healing in my marriage. Healing in my finances. Healing. I need it. Jesus. Jesus. Can you receive that? Just receive it. God, hear. He hears you right now. that tree into the water, Lord. Bring forth healing. Healing. Take the bitterness of my life and turn it into sweetness. For your glory. For your glory. For your glory. 